everybody has a program to train their salespeople and enablement and that. I mean, everybody understands that it's better if you sell people are good and you will train them. But we're exploring something at TE Pepper that's very interesting. We're exploring the idea of, of doing an uneven distribution. So, you know, our TE Pepper distribution distributes the needs. So, you get the prospect and you, we run Robin and we make sure it's fair. And then if people on vacation, they don't get them. And when they come back, they get just a regular share. One extreme solution said, I have my top players. First, you fill the calendar, and once they're fully booked, then you give it to the others. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Nicholas Vandenberg. He's the co-founder and CEO of Chili Piper. And in our conversation today, we're talking about the importance of speed to lead. Nicholas and I dive into the reasons why companies that are increasingly relying on inbound marketing to generate their sales pipeline are struggling to convert inbound leads because they aren't responding in a timely enough manner. So we dig into the whole issue of lead response time. And why does response time matter? I mean, for me, among other reasons, it's important because it's a first impression of you and your company that you make on a prospective buyer. You know, it's part of how the buyers experience you. So Nicholas and I dig into the findings from a recent study conducted by Chili Piper on lead response and what they found about the correlation of lead response time to lead conversion. And FYI, they found that the average lead response time is 42 hours. <laughs> does being responsive matter? Absolutely, yes, it does. So we get into this and much, much more. But before we get to Nicholas, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also leave us a review and give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Nicholas, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Happy to be back. Yeah, it's it surprised me. I looked, it's been six years. Wow. <laughs> Just like what's changed since then? Quite <laughs> a different world. Yeah, world. in many yeah. regards. So, I mean, six years ago, Chili Piper... You probably had just how many employees? Well, I think it was just been five of us uh, six years ago, five or seven. Yeah. yeah. And, now? and now we are 220. Wow. Okay. So 220. And what makes me really proud is that we are, uh, we'd uh, seen the movie before the movie uh, uh, was released. So we were remote from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we have 220 employees in 192 cities and 40 countries. Wow. We have people in countries you've never heard of, like, uh, I shouldn't, this is something condescending, <laughs> yeah. but I think like Macedonia and Kosovo uh-huh. and, in you know, and um, now Chile, I mean, if Chile is something you've heard of, but uh, in, in, in all sorts of beautiful places. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to ask, do you have people in the Ukraine? Because you've been posting quite a bit about that recently. Yes, we have been posting because we do. Have, we have uh, several employees uh, in Ukraine and several employees in Russia. And and, uh, and uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, when we did our B-round, which we, we raised $33 million, we thought, okay, now is uh, um, the time to do good. So we put $1 million into a foundation against violence, and that was last year. And mm-hmm. our goal was to help um, eliminate violence. So I guess it was pre-science because uh, yeah. uh, we, 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 well, actually, maybe not because we never thought that uh, this kind of war would, would still happen. No. But um, right. we, we, we funded effort to help people educate around uh, peace and non-violence. And um, 
four weeks before uh, the invasion, uh, we got our Russian employees together with Ukrainian employees, uh, like cheering and saying we are brothers and sisters, and we it makes no sense for us to kill one another. Right. And and shortly after, of course, that thing happened. So so it's right. a trauma. But now what we're doing is that we most of our Ukrainian employees, male employees, wants to stay in Ukraine and fight. So they do, and we help them. Uh, and uh, for our Russian employees, we have actually asked them to leave the country because we do not want to send any dollar to uh, the country, right? So right. Um, most of them are already out. A couple of them are still uh, um, on, their, on transit, uh, but we've stopped all payments to Russia. Yeah, as you said, yeah, it's hard to believe this could could happen believe, in modern yeah. Europe, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so um, all right, well, let's let's talk about business and yeah, talk about business. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk about this idea of speed to lead, which yeah. we were just chatting about prior to starting to record. That um, uh, yeah, this has been a topic of conversation for a long time. I mean, I've, yeah. some of the the data even. So I was go, sorry, going through your reports and so on is, you know, some of the data is 15, almost 20 years old at this point. Is it more urgent speed to lead than it was yeah, 15, 20 years ago? Uh, very, very much so. Um, and uh, there are two main reasons for that. Uh, the first one is what um, has been called the dark funnel, where people will actually educate themselves Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of your knowledge. So that's why it's called dark. It's dark from the vendor standpoint. From, from the right. prospect standpoint, it's not at all dark. They're quite happy talking <laughs> yes. their friends and their network and their, and their Slack channels and so on. But from the vendor standpoint, they don't know that these people are, are finding out about you. And the uh, important thing is that you don't control your message, right? Because they're asking mm-hmm. in a group on Slack, they're asking their friend, and you have no control well, at least no direct control of what these people say. But by the time they come to your website, they already know you. They have already uh, made up their, uh, made, made at least have some opinion about uh, what your solution is worth. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, you they're much more further along the life cycle and, and you absolutely want to engage with them as fast as you can. So that's what we call the straight-to-meeting imperative, which is do not... Uh, wait, just go straight to meeting, book a meeting, whichever way you can book a meeting with them, engage and, and talk to them. The right. second reason is um, that the alternative to that used to be that you would capture an email. So say, oh, and, and, and um, the whole world of marketing is actually structured around uh, email, capturing mm-hmm. an email. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give more details about that. And the thing about that, if you capture an email and say, that's it, now I have Andy's email, I'm going to nurture him, email him, or have an SDR email him or something. Well, the, the thing is that the emails, they go to spam, right? So mm-hmm. uh, in, in the past, email was a decent uh, channel. Now uh, you inundated uh, Outlook and Gmail, filter them and move them to mm-hmm. uh, spam and, and you never get that email. So the the spam, when in the past you say, oh, it's okay if I send an email an hour later, now an hour later means that you go into the spam folder instead of mm-hmm. instead of actually talking to the prospect was right on your site, right. you're now in the spam folder. So this is the second reason why, why it's, it's speed to read. And as we say at Chili Pepper, it's not even speed to read, it's, it's, uh, 
it's no longer a debate. It has to be instant. So you have to be straight to meeting and book the meeting as fast as you can and as easily as you can for the prospect. Um, obviously, that's, that's what our solution is uh, designed to do. But uh, we've had... Uh, we see that companies are starting to understand it because we, we had been doubling year over year. So since we right. old uh, old buddies, you know that we started small, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, now we're more like tripling uh, in our revenues and customer accounts because uh, people are understanding that they cannot uh, afford to do that. It's a funny thing when 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 we came up with our solution, we were talking to. Uh, the species called inbound SDR. I say, mm -hmm. uh, what is your job as an inbound SDR? I say, well, you see on our website, we have a form, uh, uh, request a demo. People submit that form. They get a page that say, thank you. Somebody's going to call you. It's my job. I call them. I say, oh, that's great. And how is that going for you? And people would tell me, oh, it's going great. I'm converting at 40%. And I uh, said, so you mean to tell me that 100 people have asked for a demo and only and 60 of them didn't get that demo? And the reason why they thought it was good is because the outbound SDR was converting on 1%. But they were right. calling people who never asked for a demo, right? So you didn't expect that. But, but they said, oh, look, uh, oh, well, I remember um, one of the... Right? Yeah, that's right. I remember yeah. one of these outbound SDRs saying, oh, Mary is amazing. She books so many meetings. I think the people ask for the meeting. She called her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but the net of it is that it was like a, a well-accepted practice that you have an inbound SDR that they call and book the meeting and that. And that, that for some reason, it seems that losing more than half your pipeline uh, was just the nature of the game. So, uh, yeah. so we change that when we, we deploy our form concierge solution about a form submission, we, we qualify, we write, we book in real time. And as a result, we double in non-conversion rates. And, um, and so now that, that companies realize that they can't afford to spend these dollars in marketing and, and having this uh, leak in the leakage in the middle of, the, of that process. Well, we'll get into that in a second because you guys have done a study about some of that, and there's still significant leakage in that that uh, yeah, that process. That's right. But that's for many right. companies, but yeah, I think that the thing you talk about the dark funnel. But <clears throat> I, mean, I wrote about this years ago. My first book is that by definition, when in today's environment, when a, a buyer reaches out to actually speak to a seller, given the self education that's gone on beforehand you have to assume that there's a degree of urgency to it on the part of the buyer. You know, they've invested time already in their process and they're motoring towards a conclusion. So absolutely. they want you absolutely. They, 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 they want yeah, you to, that, you're absolutely right. And, and, uh, and actually uh, um, the urgency varies business by business uh, Typically, if it's a large enterprise deal, people can wait a day or two or three. So that's what we find. If, if you're in the mid-market and you have a deal that are smaller, then uh, losing a day makes a difference. So you have to book the meeting within the next 24 to 48 hours. And then we have companies like Square, as a customer of ours mm -hmm. on, on the B2C, where they found that if they, if they wait until the day after, they lose a, a very large portion of their opportunities because it's right. too late. And the reason for it, if you think of it, Square provides uh, uh, payment systems. When mm -hmm. a small business calls and say, I need a payment, most likely it's because their current payment system broke or, or they're about to launch and they want to launch. So they, they don't want to wait. Uh, they can't correct payments, right? So they, they, right. they have to do it immediately. 
And so, uh, so the solution for them is that it's our solution. We uh, auto dial. So when, when somebody submits a form, we don't book a meeting. We just dial them and dial. get them immediately on, on, on that. So the instant is actually the meeting is instant. Right. And, um, and, uh, and you're exactly right. That, that's the ultimate urgency, as you were mentioning there. The, the, there's always urgency, but sometimes it's, it's real, um, real urgent. urgent. But I think that, I think the imperative exists, and I firmly believe this for, doesn't matter the the size of the deal or complexity of the deal or whatever, because what's happening is you're creating a first impression, right? In the mind of the buyer, what it's like to deal with your company. It's the first part of the buying experience. And, you know, we know from studies from Gartner and others that, you know, the buying experience is actually these days, given the, the slim differentiation between products, the buying experience with the seller is oftentimes the point of difference between vendors, so, yeah, I yeah. think there's a huge difference regardless of the deal. If you can be that first one to respond, you're creating a much more positive impression in the mind of the buyer than those that wait a day or more. Yeah, there's tons of data proving that point. And, uh, and our research that you're referring to, recent uh, Chile insights about, uh, uh, about that process is puzzling because you still have companies that never call back. Or request yeah. a meeting and people never call back. It's <laughs> like amazing. You think with all the tools we have right now, that would never happen, but it still happens. Well, and so why do you think that is? I mean, I have my my thoughts, but I'm just curious. What you know, based on your experience, why why are companies not responding to these leads? So, so I start. I start. Um, the 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 answer is that. Um, um, it's at the junction between marketing and sales. So marketing is a process to bring these people to ask for a request, and then sales start. So that they, they so this, and so there's a kind of a blame game where I know they, they've followed up with five of them. They're all not qualified, and marketing says mm. bullshit, and it's not worth it, and, right. and you know, and and so that's a, that's the main problem. That, that there's two different processes with two different teams. And, and none of them take ownership of that middle. That's actually what has made our, our business uh, challenging is because we had to sell to both departments, right? So we had mm-hmm. to get them to agree. And, and you know, it's like uh, getting a, a long... Cats and dogs, right. The cats and dogs to agree on what game they're going to play. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so but, you know, then eventually... Um, it has happened to me several times that I talked to the CEO and he said, oh my God, you're right, it makes so much sense. I'm going to hook you up with my head of sales to make it happen immediately. And the head of sales refused because they have the SDR team and that's how they do things. And, and, and you know, it's like uh, right. not their problem. Amazing. Yeah, I, mean, I think, yes. I mean, sure, there's going to be leads that, that you come across that that aren't worth following up or, you know, once you follow it up, they aren't qualified for what you're doing. But for most salespeople, I, I mean, a, a a steady source of inbound leads is like an ATM machine that's broken, that's just spinning out cash. You're I mean, exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. The cash hemorrhaging, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and yeah. This, this idea of qualification, I think people, uh, um, it must be some aspect of human psychology where we, we overreact um, because we're so disappointed. So you're in a cut executive, you get a lead, you say, great, I have a meeting this afternoon uh, at, at two o'clock with the prospect. The prospect shows up, he's completely not qualified. And that disappointment is a, is a strong emotion, emotion. 
and as a result, they're going to complain and say, "Stop sending me unqualified leave." And so that that squeaky wheel uh, is getting way too much oil. You know, that that non qualified. We hear all the time say, "Ah, oh, but uh, you're going to send us non qualified leave." First of all, we have uh, real time qualification, so we do qualify the leads at Chili Pepper. But even if you were missing a, like, what is better to uh, occasionally, uh, let's let's say five percent of uh, your hundred. Uh, being not qualified and still booking with them or missing 60%, which is the current state of the industry uh, right. of, of, of these qualified people who ask for a demo, right? So the, the, the economically, the, the trade-off is clear. You should book all these meetings, but emotionally, uh, people are biased toward to the wrong decision. Well, so it sort of raises a, a thought, which is, you know, in these situations where you see, and again, we'll, get to the, the data, but I mean, it was, uh, let's see, you know, in general, about what, 20, 28% of leads, nearly 30% of leads are never followed up, uh, across various company sizes and types and so on is <laughs> it made the issue is these companies just have too much pipeline. I've never heard anybody say that, <laughs> well, but, but think, think about it for a second. So, so, you know, what is, um, you know, what's the average win rate on a qualified opportunity in most SaaS companies? I mean, it's, it. 15 to 30%. Yeah. Between 20 and 30%. Yeah. So I would make the argument that if you can only win such a small fraction of your deals, you've got too many prospects. That's an interesting argument. Um, I mean, first of all, you'd say you could make the argument that if you can only win 20, 30% of your most qualified opportunities, you don't have product market fit. Or you have product market fit and you can't execute from a sales perspective. But if you're yeah. winning such a small percentage of your deals, you have, I would argue, you have too many prospects. Focus more and learn how to win the ones you have and then start adding more to the pipeline. So. Um, that would be a little bit like uh, you have too many prospects, like the advertising uh, <laughs> joke, right? That uh, half the budget is wasted, but you don't, yeah, you don't, don't know which half. Which half. Right, exactly. Uh, so if you start reject, rejecting prospects, then you can say, well, did I reject the good ones, right? So you don't know or, until uh, you've engaged with them. So it's difficult or invest, to... Or invest less up things. front. Generate fewer leads. Sure, fewer yeah, but uh, if there was a secret recipe to by investing less, generating more qualified lead, and as a result of it, because fundamentally you, you you're hinting at two the, the two levers to to uh, right. to increase your conversion rates. One obviously is, is is you're hinting at it is uh, training the salespeople to do a better job, and the other piece is getting people who are more likely to convert, which. We typically right. call qualified, and they're very qualified, so they're more likely. And um, I think everybody in, in marketing is trying to bring more qualified leads. I mean, you know, you keep looking at the profile that works, the the persona that works, the context that works, and every, everybody's trying to do that. So I think uh, um, if there was a secret secret weapon to just only bring hyper qualified uh, prospects to your sales team, everybody would do it. Right. Um, yeah. And for the training yeah. of the sales team, uh, training of the sales team is a yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I think that that part of the issue is that among the leads that you generate, 
some are more qualified than others, and you can determine that, right? Is that you can define a type, and when you've defined the type by winning a higher fraction of them, then you can teach marketing what they should be doing. Yes, but you know, uh, Andy, there's been uh, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in uh, this idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 no no seriously. It, it, um, it started uh, the beginning of last decade. Uh, companies showed up and say, with artificial artificial intelligence, we're going to do lead scoring, and the score oh, yeah. will be will be so well done with artificial intelligence that uh, we're going to change the world. And what has really changed is uh, that uh, VC lost money in a new category called lead scoring, <laughs> <laughs> right? And well, which the marketing automation lead, systems still do. They do, but uh, no, they do it with uh, based on activity less. and engagement. Yeah, yeah, but much le- much less ambition, much less ambition. Right. It's now it's kind of a it's a feature that's kind of nice to have. Like at the time when when companies like EverString or or what's the other one I don't remember the name. Uh, showed up, they say, look, we take your, your data in Salesforce, we analyze it all, and then we tell you which ones to go after, and that's going to be the miracle. We're going, you're going to convert like there's no tomorrow. It just didn't happen. It didn't happen. Because right. uh, the, the main reason is that uh, the, what is carrying a lot of signals is obvious to the human beings, so you've already done it. In other words, uh, if you mm-hmm. know that you it's mid-market tech, tech companies that are closing well, you go after mid-market tech companies, and the Lower, less visible signal is, is often not very strong. So you think that it matters that they've done with three white papers, but you found that the guy showed up and, uh, and did one click uh, sale, right? They, they bought immediately. Right. So you can, if people have done nothing, you can just decline them because they may, may be the, your next person who buys uh, today. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, so it's a harder problem than. than yeah, well, I know. I just. It it's one I think we don't give enough attention to, though. That's my belief, certainly from the as it results in how sales executes. But, uh, I because, think that's a fair statement. That's a fair statement. Yeah. We don't give it enough attention. We at uh, TV Paper had uh, these three buckets A, B, C of uh, potential targets for, for our sales development teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we said, look, the A are more likely to close, so go after the A. And if you don't get enough A, get the Bs, and the Cs just uh, if you have time left. And right. then uh, we hired, a, 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 to my shame, I must say, we hired, no, <laughs> we hired a director of, uh, of analytics. Um, so that's not my shame because I'm very happy he's on board. And what is my shame is that he started running the numbers and found that our B bucket was actually converting better than our A bucket. <laughs> so we, we, we had got it wrong. <laughs> and, yeah. But of course, it's a bit more subtle. At some stage, the A bucket was converting better because that's what right. we found. And then, and then down the road, we, we had to adjust. So I think you're right. The companies don't pay enough attention to that. They should yeah. monitor at any time if, if there's more... Uh, which signals are, are, are most important and, and how to prioritize? Well, I mean, that's why I throw up the comment that yeah, maybe there's too much pipeline. Is that if you can be so casual about win rates, then you know, you're at some point you're really just playing the odds rather than actually executing a, a process to to win a, a certain fraction of your deals. Anyway. I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but, yeah, but the, um, the, the the other the other the other uh, interesting aspect of uh, what you s- uh, brought up is the performance of the sales team. Mm-hmm. So, can you improve the performance of the sales team? Sure. So, of course, 
everybody uh, has a program to train their salespeople and enablement and that. I mean, everybody understands that it's better if your salespeople are good and you will train them. But we're exploring something at TE Pepper that's uh, very interesting. We're exploring the idea of uh, of doing an uneven attribu- um, distribution. So you know our TE Pepper solution distributes the leads. Right. So right. you get a prospect and you, we run Robin and we make sure it's fair and... and, and uh, and then if people on vacation, they don't get them. And when they come back, mm-hmm. they get the, the, just a regular share. But then you think, well, what if uh, I've had a few companies who say, I don't want to do that. I want to feel, so one extreme uh, solution said, I want to f- have my top players. First, you fill the calendar. And once they're fully booked, then you give it to the others, uh, which is a bit extreme because then the others have nothing to eat uh, on some bad days. Well- it's more than that. I mean, because this happens and has happened, you know, as long as there have been leads, right? Is that managers, before we had a system to do it, like Chili Piper did, we'd put a rule into it and say, this is how to distribute the leads. Managers would do that. And and they would always favor the top performers. And then you yeah. get this, this, ver- you know, this vicious cycle going where yeah. your lesser people don't get the opportunities. They don't get the the experience to develop the confidence they need to become better. And so we basically condemn those people to being subpar. Yeah, that's right. So you, you uh, that's the risk that you, you, you are uh, reinforcing uh, a weakness. Uh, it's a guaranteed outcome. Exploring is to be, it's a bit more subtle is the idea that it's not that all the good ones go to the top performers is that you bias the distribution by giving more, and not the good ones. You give more leads to the top performers, but enough for the others to train, and then and then as and then you monitor their their performance. As the performance improves, then you move them to the upper basket. So that's um, I think it's something worth exploring. Um, yeah, that you know the the reality that. Um, this would result in uh, more revenues, right? So it's... it's well, but that gets uh, back to the topic we were talking about, which is, you know, the easiest way for companies in many cases to increase revenues is to start winning a higher fraction of their qualified opportunities. You know, if you took your win rate from right, 20 right. to 30 to 30 to 40, I'd make the argument that that's less expensive and more profitable than investing more in generating top-of-funnel activity. Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. yeah. But no one thinks about it. So... Anyway, (laughs) it's a topic I love to talk about, (laughs) but I didn't get sidetracked from what we were talking about, which was, you know, speed to lead, which I think is hugely important. And I love the study you did because you basically, it looks like you basically, I want to get back to that because you guys basically did like a secret shopper approach, right? We did. That's right. We, we went to a bit of a state of the industry, uh, you know, on the speed to lead, uh, mostly uh, what kind of companies respond to to the meeting request. And right. um, it was shocking because you think that there's been so much written about it, you know, like, like right. it, it seems so absurd that you don't follow with the lead that, that you think that nobody uh, would uh, do that anymore. Uh, but that's not what we found. As you can see from the result, we found uh, several times where nobody followed up and, and many, the distribution was uh, certainly not, when you think it, you should follow up in the first five minutes, that's certainly not what we found. That's right? certainly not the way the industry stands. So there's a lot of progress to be made by the industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, and especially it seemed to be worse with larger companies in your studies, sort of like those with like 10,000 or more employees. <laughs> they basically, I mean, 
they just basically didn't give a damn about the leads. <laughs> it's pretty much all it's like. It's just like, eh, never mind. Because almost <laughs> some of the bigger companies, it's like at least 30% of their their leads were just never being touched at all, just being flushed down the drain. All that money, all that marketing money. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I, you, you, when we said, say, I wonder why that is, you, and you said, I have my idea, but I want to hear yours. So my turn, what is your uh, thought on that? Why, why do companies do that? Well, I think it's, it's along the lines of what you said. I think that we still have these persistent, uh, I'll call them like oral traditions that get passed down from generation to generation and say, those people that inbound leads are crap, right? And I still, today, I can go, I could go on LinkedIn every day and find a discussion somewhere where someone's saying, you know, the only good lead is one I develop myself, you know, a salesperson saying that. And these biases just sort of get passed down. So there's this inherent, you know, resistance on the part of many, many sellers to this, you know, these leads that are being handed to them. And I was, I was somebody in my career that, you know, I, I, I hated prospecting, you know, give me leads. That was great. You know, I prospected because I had to, because I wasn't getting leads, not because I wanted to. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a good chunk of it, but then there's part of it. There's part of it to what you're just saying is, or we're just talking about is that, there, my experience when I work with companies on a consulting basis and we look at issues like this is that management assumes that the follow-up is happening. If you go in and challenge a CEO or you know, VP of marketing or VP of sales and say, hey, I've looked at the data. You know, you're just not following up on this big swath of leads that you've invested good money to generate. They'd say, oh, no, I'm sure it's happening. Almost 100% of the time. Oh, I'm sure it's happening. And then you come back and you say, well, let's look at it. And they're stunned, usually. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. People don't track that. Uh, I can tell you from experience, it's very rare when we find a prospect. And we typically say, so what's your conversion rate on meeting requests to demo uh, attended, right? That's a simple right. thing. How many people ask right. and how many people. And, and, and let's just no disqualify some. So conversion rate, no idea. They don't track it. I remember guys say, oh, inbound rate process is doing great. We're going to, we have two people doing it. It's awesome. And I say, all right, so it's going perfect. Yeah, it's going perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> I say, actually, it's going so well. We're going to hire a third person. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, a third person. And literally in the same sentence, a third person to follow up with the leads who uh, haven't been followed up with. <laughs> we, we never we were never contacted and think well, you can tell your process is going great if you need to hire somebody to follow up with these people who've never been contacted right obviously yeah. but it, it's a bizarre thing that uh, these people are thinking it's going well and, and don't pay attention to the actual facts and data yeah I mean I just wondered I was going to ask questions so in your study did you get a sense that in the companies that aren't following up leads that there's actually any level of triage taking place you know, by the inbound no, team? Yes, no, that, that was not the reason. No, it, it was not that they were smart and they should not have followed up because uh, we were very careful in our study to make sure that the uh, meeting request were submitted were, were submitted um, from a qualified perspective, right? So it yeah. was not that they they found that, oh, it's not worth it. it we, we made sure that the request was from a what appeared to be a qualified prospect. Right. 
Well, so, so, so it was not that they were smart; it was just that just they were, they were broken. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought the the most ironic finding in your study that I found, looking at it, when you when you looked at response rates or response percentages um, <laughs> based on different you know industry types, you know different application types within the software industry. Is that those with the highest rate of non-response came from the companies that sell to sales teams and customer service teams? <laughs> so your three categories with the the highest rate of non-response were, you know, sales intelligence, CRM, and help desk. And I thought, isn't that ironic? <laughs> that yeah, you would super think, ironic. right? That that yes, would be exactly. yeah. <laughs> those would be the ones that'd be the most responsive, but they're the least. Yeah, they say the covers. Sounds of no shoes, yeah. but that's taking no a bit far. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, hey, I, I wanted to finish up by doing something that. So, when you were here six years ago, I asked you uh, four questions, so rapid fire questions, random questions. And what I was going to do is ask you those same four questions again and, and see how your answers compared to what you said last time. You, you uh, it's, a test to, it's a test to see if I'm consistent. <laughs> I don't know. It's a test to see how you've evolved personally. <laughs> so, um, okay, let's do it. <laughs> all right. The first question is, so when you, Nicholas, are out selling, when you're personally selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute or quality? Uh, for sure, it's uh, what is now called uh, tactical empathy. is to make sure that I put myself in the shoe of the other and uh, and make sure that I understand what where they're coming from and what their motivation is. That's what has worked for me, and that was right to teach all my salespeople. Okay, very close. What you said last time is your natural inclination to want to help people. So I would say, that, yeah, that, that's right. That's put my in the shoe and help for what they want to do. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Second question: Who is your sales role model? Jeez. Did I give an answer to that last time? You I, did, I, yeah. yeah. Yes. I just listened to it. Uh, let me... Uh, so I had the partner uh, when I started in my career who uh, was in consulting, was very strong uh, and could uh, figure out exactly the dynamics of all the politics and and, mm-hmm. and that that's who got me started. Yeah, is, yep. that, is that what that's I said last time? Same, same answer. Same answer. All uh, right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're two for, you're two for two. So it's not from remembering. It's it's from uh, figuring it out. Yeah. Well, I figured. Yeah. So okay. number three. What's the one book that every salesperson should read besides my new book? This may have changed because. Besides your book, it's a good point. I was going to say this may have changed. The, the, I can't remember the results at the time, but now I've been very impressed by Chris Voss's uh, "Never Speak the Difference" uh, because he emphasizes this concept. Two concepts: one is the concept of tactical empathy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and um, and the other piece is this concept of a black swan to find to find what's special. Uh, Special um, about the other, the other person that could make mm-hmm. them uh, move and change their mind, but you, it's exactly a, quite a, aligned with your book and the idea of the not selling, right? So yeah. and understanding what's driving people instead of being a, right. like a pitching. So, so your um, answer the first time was that would be that would be a tie with, 
but with the, these two books, yours and Chris right. Voss. What, what, what did All you right. answer well, last I appreciate time? that. So last time you answered uh, Trish Bertuzzi's excellent book, The Sales Development Playbook. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. At the time, I was very focused on sales development, yeah. Yeah. With uh, a close second at the time. Came out, yeah. Go I was going to say, a close second at the time with, uh, you said, uh, Mark Roberge's The Sales Acceleration Formula. Yeah, but that was along the same line. I was very focused on sales yeah. development. That's what I was yeah. reading. Uh, your book wasn't out. Chris Foss's nope. book wasn't out. Now I'm more focused on, on the closing part, yeah. Okay, so last question. What's on your playlist these days? The, the music. What music is on your playlist the, these days? Oh, the music is hard to tell because now I have a team of 220 people and there's a music channel uh, uh, called Chili Radio on Slack. And they keep, ah. and I, I love house and electronic dance music. Okay. So at the time, I probably answered, I probably, I probably answered at the time Philip Glass. I'm a big fan of Philip Glass, the composer. <laughs> you and you did, as a matter of fact. Hours. <laughs> Uh, but now there's this new feed of uh, this more like energizing music techno and I don't even uh, uh, it's mostly on SoundCloud and I I don't even look at the artist I just click on it and listen to that music so so Philip Glass has been uh, kicked out of uh, house music okay not completely but uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it was Philip Glass last time absolutely it's just for the energy of it uh, it it, 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 um, they can see why uh, my team members uh, love it and uh, yeah, and um, it, it can be a great way to get going to work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Nicholas, well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you again. We won't wait six years the next time. Yeah, mate. All right, yes, I'll do it quickly. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, I should forget, I should ask before we go, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they should come to the website uh, Chili Piper. So it's a play on words, Piper P I P E R, mm-hmm. and request a meeting and uh, and uh, talk to your sales team. And then um, they can follow me on uh, LinkedIn. Is my main main activity on LinkedIn. Uh, so if you find my name, you can follow. Uh, I've been more active now on LinkedIn because a lot of the messages I find uh, are well conveyed on LinkedIn. Yeah, perfect. All right, Nicholas, thank you. Okay, thanks to you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Nicholas Vandenberg, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.